The year is 2001. The movie is pretty fucked up. But that's kind of par for the course with this director. That's right. For the very first time ever, I watched The Piano Teacher. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Clear Attentive Classics, the show where I, your host, Jake Baker, watch classic movies for the very first time and give my nostalgia-free opinions on them. Hey, I managed to do the intro without saying my name the first time, um, which I'm thinking about switching to Jake Ryan Baker. Is that pretentious? I don't know. That's the name of my YouTube channel, though, and I feel like maybe I should make it more, everything should be more cohesive across the board, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> why am I asking you? Uh, hey, if you have an opinion, hit me up at JakeBakerSan on Twitter or my YouTube channel. Check it out. Wow, it's less than a minute in and I'm already pimping my shit. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're continuing uh, this run of solo episodes. I don't know how what order this stuff's going to come out in, but... In terms of where I'm at personally, um, it's been two days since I recorded the uh, wow uh, the Clute episode, sure to be one of my most popular episodes. And I'm, I'm just trying to kind of knock these out. I'm, I'm sitting on so many movies that I watched that I felt like I need to record episodes on. I'm doing this one. I've got two more movies after this that I've watched that I still haven't recorded episodes on. It used to be so good about watching the movie and then just immediately recording afterwards. It's just, I don't know. It's been a thing. Um, I'm actually starting this recording earlier. If, if you listen to that Clute episode, I'm sure I sound like I'm cracked out of my mind uh, because I'm just desperately trying to finish the recording before I need to flee. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I feel like flee is a bit of an exaggeration, but I, I've been recording late at night at the library after we closed down and the building like locks down at a certain time of night. And if I'm not out of here, I'm going to set off an alarm. And literally, as I was finishing up the Clue episode, I managed to walk out the door a minute before the alarm set, which was pretty, cutting in a little close. So I, I learned my lesson and <laughs> I have a little more time this episode to talk about the piano teacher, which is good because there's probably a lot to discuss. This is a very, very complex, deep movie. I'm 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 excited to talk about it because a lot of times when I when I verbalize things I find myself working my way through my thoughts in a way that I can't really just do in my own head if that makes sense and I think this movie requires a lot from its audience I think this movie is really open to interpretation in a way that I do appreciate in terms of uh it wants you to put certain things on it and it's it's asking it's not holding your hand that's for sure and i i, I as even as i was watching it and after i finished watching it i i, I had these this feeling i was like everybody thinks this movie is such a masterpiece um and it is great but i found myself it left me a little cold but uh i, I will i want to preface this whole conversation with uh there's a podcast i really like called this uh called sardonicast and uh, 
the three three YouTubers who I actually really I enjoyed all their content separately before they even started the show together. So when they announced they were going to do a show together, I was like, sweet. And I'm a I assume every Monday an episode drops. I it's the first thing I pretty much do that day is listen to the episode. I actually went back and re-listened to their uh, piano teacher episode right after I watched the movie, and I had already listened to it before, so I guess and that'll factor into my preconceived notions a little bit. But it was it was really good to hear them kind of parse through what certain things meant, and yeah, it, it made me feel a little bit better about the movie. I'm curious what I'm going to rate it at the end. Um, I do think some people consider this movie to be like an actual masterpiece. So I'd be curious to see if uh, anybody gets upset with my rating. I don't know. I, I'm not sure what I'm not sure what I'm going to rate it. So <laughs> who knows? Um, is it going to be a ten? No, it's not going to be a ten. I'll spoil that at least. Uh, but yeah, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I should just get into it, but I'm also kind of like I have a little more time. Is there anything I need to talk about? Things have been weird. It's uh, it's the beginning of December of 2020 when I'm recording this episode, and it's just like, I don't know, I think everybody's ready for this year to be over, but I also feel like I've not accomplished anything at all this year. I I don't know, I as, as of this recording, I have all these, I have like three short films that I have not finished editing, and all sorts of other stuff, and I mean this podcast included, there's a YouTube video that I should have been done with months ago. I haven't done any writing, barely. It's just been, it's been a real shit show. I'm not, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what's going on. I don't know why I can't seem to get motivated to get anything done. Watching movies for this show and then recording the show is, feels like such a gargantuan effort. Just watching a movie these days is almost like, yeah, that's an accomplishment, right? I don't know. It's, it's kind of, it's weird. It, I feel like you should give yourself permission to, if you are in a bit of a funk, you can wallow a little bit if you need to. And I think that's totally fine and valid, but there goes my voice cracking again. But, you know, at some point you kind of have to get your shit together, right? I mean, right? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I keep I keep waiting for the day I wake up to just be like, okay, I'm I'm on top of it now, but... Just not, and this definitely isn't the week to do that. Uh, I almost got into it last episode, but uh, my my dog passed away recently, and it made me sad. And I'm not trying to make anybody sad by saying that, but it it definitely it affected me a little more heavily than I would have guessed. Um, I I just you know like she's she's not even she's not even the first dog we've had pass away. She's the third, but I I think uh, it's kind of funny. One of my more recent episodes was the Leon the Professional episode, and I talked about my road trip that I went on. And that whole thing happened because it was during a period that I was unemployed. And I feel like I got really close with, with that dog, Oakley. I'll immortalize her in podcast form, yeah. It's about all I can do. <laughs> uh, Oakley, I, I loved her. And we we grew pretty close while I was unemployed. She was like one of the only things that I was could kind of set my clock to. Like, uh, I guess I should get out of bed and walk the dog because she actually is getting used to getting walks every day. And right before I went on my road trip, I was just so sad to leave her. And I was worried about her the whole time. And I don't know. It's just, eh, it just sucks, man. Like, getting old sucks, <laughs> which, uh, you know, 
it's a subject that the director of this movie has tackled pretty expertly um, as far as my personal, uh, not to completely fully segue out of personal stuff, but I might as well. It's a good opportunity. Uh, I believe his name is pronounced Mikkel uh, Hanukkah. I tried to look up pronunciation before I started this episode, and I think that's roughly how you say it. The only others, others, <laughs> the only other films of his I've seen are Amor, and I've seen at least parts of the. Um, I guess we're basically getting into my preconceived. This is cry. Who gives a shit? I'm talking about the director right now. Stop overanalyzing it. <laughs> um, I've seen parts of his American version of Funny Games, which is kind of an infamous. It's kind of an infamous movie in my family. It's my mom. She likes like Hallmark shit, and that's about it. Which is fine, totally valid. Uh, but for some reason, she, every once in a while, she'll see a random ass movie and she'll just fucking hate it so much. And she saw Funny Games at some point and she fucking hated it. And I'm pretty sure a lot of people in my family have seen this movie. Just I don't know why they all saw it. It must have just been running on TV a lot. But yeah, Funny Games is a pretty infamously hated movie. I've definitely had negative thoughts about the film because I only saw it when I was, I wouldn't say fairly young, but you know... Uh, I kind of cringe a little bit. There was definitely a period between like when I was like 17 to maybe even like as late as 25 where my movie consumption diet was pretty bad and I didn't really appreciate movies with, with not, and not to be pretentious. I would never judge anybody for what they like ever, but my, my taste in movies was shit in my opinion. And when I look back at the stuff that I was watching and the stuff that I that didn't connect with me. I, I definitely wasn't in the right headspace to watch a movie like that. It just seemed really awful and horrible for no reason. And, and now knowing more about this director, he's always the subject matter in his movies can be really dark, but he's always trying to say something with that reveal facets of humanity and stuff. And I don't know. I mean, the thing with funny games is, is just miserable. It's just two people torturing a family for the entire movie and and that's it. That's the whole movie. And it's just like, and it's clearly a movie he felt so strongly about that he made. A, I was, I, I'm not entirely. I'm not entirely sure what the original version is. Maybe I think I think he's from Austria, but he's so ridiculous that he can just make movies in any country. He's got French movies. He's got German movies. As far as I know, um, seems like he makes a lot of movies in French. I don't know if the first Funny Games is in French or, or what, but. He felt so strongly about it that he did a remake of his own film. So it's clearly trying to say something. Maybe it's a movie I'll tackle for the podcast. Maybe I'll do like a special. I'll have a guest on and we'll watch both funny games and compare them. That could be fun, right? I don't know. <laughs> but I've also seen a more, um, which is, I'd say, probably the most depressing movie I've ever seen in my entire life. It is brutal. I, I, I had to actually like take a break in the middle of watching it, I remember, because I was like, this is this is hard to watch. But that's what I'm talking about is he's it's a movie where he is exploring the horrors of becoming old and what a downhill slide that is. And it's clearly very personal. He's a pretty old man at, at this point himself. Uh and it's tragic, but it is beautiful in a way in terms of the way it captures the humanity. And it's obviously relevant to the discussion because it's the same director and also uh, the lead of the piano teacher, Isabel Huppert, or however the hell he's... 
Ugh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I'm hiccuping at my own bad pronunciation. Isabel Huppert, I think is how you say her name. And she's in, she's in a more as well, which I mean, I don't know. You're listening to the piano teacher episode. You probably already know all this shit. Like, like why would you be clicking on this unless you're at least somewhat familiar with, with Mikhail Hanukkah's work? Like, like who's clicking on my piano teacher episode? <laughs> I think this is one of his more famous movies. And maybe you don't know as much about his stuff, but I definitely, I, I was thinking about recommending a more at the end of this as my recommendation, but I decided I'm not going to a, because I think it's one of his more famous movies and B it's almost just so boringly one-to-one, but I, I would recommend it. Just, you have to be in the mood to be severely depressed. I think, uh, it's a hard watch, man. It, it's a hard watch. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's a pretty natural segue into my preconceived notions or actually, you know what? I like that I did this last episode. I'm going to start doing this. Um, let's first do my shitty ad break to where I play an ad for the for Anchor. It's usually an Anchor ad. Um, I get like a couple of cents every time you guys listen to it, and it's just kind of amusing to me to see see this podcast make the tiniest amount of money ever. I think as of this recording, I've made a dollar 47 on my podcast, which is honestly more than I would have ever guessed. It's kind of hilarious. Um, so yeah, let's do the ad break. It'll just be the one stupid ad probably. And then we'll come back and talk about my preconceived notions. Okay, here we go. All right, we are back to talk about my preconceived notions, right? That's what we said we were going to do. So we're going to do it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so I did know the general plot of the film. I knew that the main character was, she had, I guess in my notes, I wrote sex addict. I wouldn't quite, I guess having seen the film, I don't know if I'd call her a sex addict. Uh, She's someone who has a very complicated relationship with sex. (laughs) I would say, because I guess sex addicts would be like shame Oh, man, I should have saved that for a recommendation. That's disappointing. That's such an obvious recommendation, and I that wasn't what I was going to recommend. Damn it. <laughs> the movie Shame, uh, Michael Fassbender plays a sex addict. Like that's To me, that's a sex addict. That's a guy who just can't stop looking at porn constantly, jerking off all the time. This character in this movie, she's not quite that. She just she doesn't seem to have control of... We'll get into it, but I, I wrote that she was a sex addict, and I would never kink shame, of course. I knew that uh, sexuality had some sort of major ro- role in this film. I definitely don't think I knew the ex- what the... Sort of. It's funny because, like I said, I listened to the Sardonicast episode beforehand, and I should just get that out of the way. I going into the film, I barely remembered anything they talked about, especially any of the details. So everything was still kind of surprising to me. Um, I just I knew something about. I wrote like I said, I wrote sex addict uh, Isabel Huppert. Again, I hope that's how you say it. She's like one of the most well-regarded actors of all time. And having seen, I think, three movies that she's in now, I get it. <laughs> I definitely get it. She is very, very good at what she does. 
Um, I'm excited to dive into more of her work. Um, I, I feel like I've seen, I feel like this is the first movie I got to watch that was just really, holy shit, she's just carrying this movie on. Not She's not carrying the movie on her back because the movie is good and everybody else in it is pretty solid too. But she's just so, man, when you see somebody that's just so good at what they do, it, it's amazing. She's she's wowed me in every movie she's been in so far. I guess I should say the other movies, the other movies I've seen of hers are, are uh, the aforementioned Amore, And I've seen the, uh, Paul Verhoeven film L E L L E, which is, I don't, I still don't know how I really feel about that movie. That's a weird movie. Um, it's a fairly recent movie. Um, she's great in it, but as far as the subject matter goes, Paul Verhoeven is a very, he's a very tricky, guy to unwrap you you never you can quite tell with him what's sat what's supposed to be satire what's supposed to be real um and as far as that movie goes it's like uh this guy's like this old german man is telling me about women's sexuality and control in a way that i'm like i'm sure it's probably based on a book or something uh, but yeah, I don't know how I feel about that movie. I, I enjoyed watching it, but it's strange. The CGI in it is very bad, uh, which I, I know that shouldn't matter, but it, it I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, but, but she's great in it. She's great in this film. I, I'm aware of her as an actor, but I am sadly very ignorant of her work. I'm sure if I keep doing this show for a long time, she will show up again and again as I dive into her filmography. Um, she's great, and I, I definitely don't think anyone can dispute that. Uh, I just have a note that says piano. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, it's called The Piano Teacher. I guess it was a safe assumption to assume the piano would be involved. Um, I know a thing with, with Hanukkah is that uh, he really likes for his movies to only have uh, what you would call diegetic music, music that is occurring within the world of the film and never just music that's playing underneath something that you know, you've know you added in post or whatever. He's, he's big on that, and it makes sense that he does. Same, in a more, they're music teachers as well, so you get to have this piano score. And in this film, uh, all the music that happens in the movie is at some point being played by a character in the film. He really enjoys that. I saw an interview with him to where he even says he feels like it's cheating to put in non-diegetic music. I, I mean, I get, I get the sentiment. I get not wanting to falsely manipulate your audience. But at the same time, I mean, good music, when tastefully done, is, is still great. I mean... Movies are an audio-visual experience, and it's like, you know, you can put music in. It's, it's fine. But I, I get what he's rebelling against, and I, I like the constraint that the man has. It, it, it's, it's, it's admirable to a certain extent, for sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the main character is a piano teacher. The uh, film is accurately named, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know what I meant by pa- piano teacher. I have Hanukkah as a note. Um, I think we've discussed him enough at this point. I mean, we'll keep talking about him in his direction and stuff, but yeah, I mean, he's, you know, I think for people that like 
I wouldn't even quite say indie movies, but you know, cinephiles to use a term that's maybe almost sarcastic at this point. But pe- people who like who love film, I feel like I feel like they're very aware of this man and his filmography. I- I'm excited to dive into more of his stuff. There's a couple films like Cachet and stuff like that that seem very interesting to me. They seem more even up my alley than his like depressing. Everyone is twisted and and everything's fucked up. Again, when, when, it's going to be unavoidable when talking about this film. But I would, I never, I would never kink shame. I'd never look down my nose at anybody's sexuality or what they do or what they're into, as long as it's like consensual and somewhat healthy, uh, coming from a healthy place. Hopefully, and I think that's part of this film. Is is Erica who. Isabel Huppert plays like her stuff is definitely not coming from a super healthy place. And so it, it, it but it makes, it, I think that's part of why I feel so complicated about the film as well, because it's just hard to be like, okay, well, I guess, I don't know, uh, like <laughs> not to spoil the film, but I mean, there's a scene fairly early on that was like, th- th- this was the scene that really made me go, okay, wait, what, what am I watching? where she goes into a, like a porno shop and she goes in like this private room where clearly it's designed for dudes to go in and like watch DVDs and jerk off or whatever. And she picks up tissues. I'm really spoiling one of the awesome, awesome moments of the film, but she picks up tissues that are presumably covered in jizz and starts sniffing them. And you're just like, what? And like, for me, I'm like, you know, if that's your thing, then cool. You're technically not hurting anybody, but you know, I think it's meant to be shocking. It's meant to be a sign that something's a little off with her. And and, and as I talk about that kind of stuff, I don't ever want to sound like um, I would think badly of someone if that was their thing. But yeah, I mean, you realize with, we'll get into it, but um, I, I wrote depressing question mark. I think that's just a, uh, a note from, Knowing this director, his taste, uh, he seems to like really awful, depressing stuff. So I was I was mentally prepared for a movie that wasn't going to make me feel good, <laughs> which was good because this movie didn't make me feel good. That's for sure. This isn't I wouldn't say this is nearly as maybe I'm just like uh, ruined from his other stuff. But I wouldn't call this as like darker even as bleak as something like a more it's bad and it's it's rough at times and it's very it's very shocking too but it's also like so ostentatious that it's hard to i didn't walk away from it being like really down in the dumps like a more a more followed me for a while where i was just like man that was hard to watch and funny games like i said is just like holy shit this is like so brutal and awful you're just watching a family lose for all intents and purposes. This movie's like, wow, that was crazy. <laughs> it doesn't, I don't think it leaves you as like, uh, in, in a bad place when you're done watching it as, as his other films, which is, which is nice. Um, and I my last notes, the Sardana casting, which I already talked about. Um, so, uh, yeah, as far as this film goes, uh, in case you are watching this, having not seen the film, I'll give you, I'll give you a brief summary of what happens. 
which doesn't really make a lot of sense in retrospect because I the entire format of the show is me going scene by scene. But just to kind of get you in the right headspace for what the plot of the film is, I'll do this, I guess. I don't know. What am I second guessing myself? How many episodes into the film? Maybe you haven't seen The Piano Teacher. I don't know why you're listening if you haven't. Um, especially when it's just me solo. Like, what? Hi, Dad, I assume. I don't know who else would be listening to this, but I'm not trying to be deprecating. It's just I, I'm just trying to figure some stuff out. <laughs> uh, but as far as the movie goes, like what basically what happens is we, like the movie just straight up opens, and, and I think it's, it's important. Uh, Isabel Huppert, who in the movie seems to be like a 40-year-old woman, she comes home, and her mom is like all she she lives with her mom, and her mom is just all over her ass. Like, where were you? What were you doing? And it becomes very clear very quickly. These two have a very strange relationship. Uh, not that I could ever, uh, <laughs> not that I can talk shit about an older person who lives at home with their family being a thirty year old who still lives with his family, but. Her mom is overbearing in, in a way that no mom should be overbearing a 40-something-year-old woman with a career. Uh, so right off the bat, you're like, what the hell's going on here? But, I mean, this movie's not exactly plot-heavy, so it's kind of hard to describe. But basically, you just kind of follow the life of this woman. She's a piano teacher. And, you know, you, I think you realize later that her mother kind of pushed her into it in a way, too. She wanted her to be great. Uh and like clearly she's never done it's one of those things where it's like she's great at piano but she's not like in an orchestra or anything she's teaching piano which is like what you do when you didn't make it essentially again never disparaging teachers or anything like that but you know i think that's meant to be what we take away from where she's at in life and she's frustrated she's pent up um, she goes to like really early on in the film, she goes to this like sort of, she, she plays this like recital for rich people, which I'm almost positive is like similar to, it's weird that I'm doing this movie so close to doing birth because there's a scene in birth where they're just, there's like just a small gathering of rich people who are watching like an orchestra play for them kind of privately and in this film, I think that's why I got so mixed up because I was confused about what happened in which movie. I think in Birth, they're maybe watching like a whole band play. But in this film, they're watching Erica and some other dude play the piano. And it's just some rich people sitting in chairs. It, it's like, God, it's like got to be... I, I can't imagine that the director... The director of Birth has to have seen the piano. Like that, that scene, it's like thinking about it now. That scene's like so similar. Um but she plays for a crowd. Everyone's like, "Yeah, that's great." There's like a party, and and she meets the uh, the guy in the film who's going to become very important. Uh, in the movie, his name's Clemmer. Um, I don't know the actor at all. Uh, I'm just going to call him Clemmer the whole time. But I mean, he's good. He's great in the film. Uh, but he's Clemmer, and they meet. There's this weird charge between them. He plays at some point too. He he acts all like, "Oh, I don't really know what I'm doing, but here I go." And I really like that scene because I'm really getting into the movie, aren't I? I'm supposed to just... Anyway, she meets Clemmer at a party. He's got the hots for her. She's kind of putting him off a little bit, keeping him in his ar- at an arm's length. 
and you're not quite sure why he he seems like a younger dude it's hard to tell um but he's not like that much younger than her he's not like a it almost would have been more interesting if it had been like an 18-year-old kid or something like that. But instead, it's like this like 30-something-year-old dude who's kind of weird. He, he's definitely got major, uh, I feel like he'd be typecast as a bad guy in an action movie looks about him. Like no shade towards the guy. It's just kind of how he looks. He's got a very, you know, uh, brooding forehead. And uh, I mean, he looks like German as shit too, which... As an American, we've basically just been trained to see German as bad, which is probably not great. Uh, but they meet, and it's basically like this almost like cat and mouse thing where he's coming on to her. As we're following her, we're starting to reveal as an audience like how uh, sort of the weird sexual stuff that she gets up to. She goes and sniffs jizz tissues at a sex shop. She goes to a drive-in and spies on people fucking in a car while she masturbates. And finally, he's trying to get with her. She drags him into a bathroom and makes him like stand there with his dick out while she like jerks him off. But then she, I, I'm pretty sure she doesn't let him come. And it's, it's just like, it's this like give and take of, it seems like she's in control. But then when he, he finally is just, he wants to consummate, he wants to get with her. Uh, she presents him with this list of like, you can beat the shit out of me. You can treat me like shit. It's what I want. Don't stop, even if I say to stop. And he's like, this is fucked up. And everything kind of culminates in um, he storms into her house one night and basically rapes her, which I'll get into it, but it's also like, because the movie's so complex and complicated, um, it's like, did he rape her or is that what she wanted or was that what she thought she wanted? But as soon as it was happening, it's not really what she wanted. It's, it's, it's kind of, I guess for me, maybe it's more clear cut for some people, but I, I think because of the nature of the film, it's, it's hard to tell. Um, and it depends on what you're trying to focus on and take away from the movie. But it's basically like she meets a guy. She's this like 40 something year old sexually repressed woman. She's like, Hey, you're going to like, you're so into me that maybe you're the guy that I can like use to explore these sexual fantasies that I never explored. And basically like once she gets a dose of it, it's like, Oh wait, this is fucked up. Um, and the end of the movie is she's like waiting for him at a concert recital with a knife. seems like she's maybe going to kill him, but then he just kind of blows past her and she stabs herself and then just walks out. And that's the end of the movie. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie, then yeah, that's what happens. But I basically already started getting into some of the stuff. But like, let's really get into it. Like, let's, talk, let's try, try to go scene by scene and talk about some of this stuff. So like I said, the movie opens with her coming home late. And her mother's just all over like, where were you? What are you doing? I think she pulls like a dress tag out of her bag. And she's like, what are you spending your money on this shit for? They, they get into an argument. I, I think uh, Erica, the main character, she at some point they hit each other and she like injures her mom. Her, her mom has ripped up one of her dresses because she was mad that she was out late, which this is like a reoccurring thing. When her mother's upset, she just kind of uh, will go into Erica's closet and tear her shit up just out of rage or whatever. Um, she hits her. The mom's like pouting and acting all hurt. And 
Erica comes to her and she's apologizing right off the bat. Like first scene, you're like, what? Okay. So these two have a very strange relationship and it's never like, I mean, it's never, there's never like a flashback or anything to where it's like, here's how we got here. It's just, it just plops you in and, and you know, as the movie goes on, you just kind of slowly understand. And, and it's very, it's very key to her character to understand that she has this fucked up relationship with her mom that has clearly caused her to be super repressed and messed her up psychologically, definitely on a lot of levels, not just sexually, but also just in her life and her career and what she's supposed to be doing. It just, you know, she's like, she's, it's probably not, you know, again, as someone that lives at home, uh, I'm not one to judge, but it just seems like psychologically, it's maybe not the best place. Like, like I definitely don't think that it's like, oh, just because she lives with her mom still, that's why she's uh, like this. But, uh, you know, a big part of it is because her mom's like kind of a psychopath. That's why it's it's so bad. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, and, and it gets even worse to where they're winding down for the night and you realize that they sleep in the same bed together. Some doesn't even seem like a king size bed. It seems to be like a queen. And they just lay next to each other and they chat and you're just like, okay, uh yeah, so this is probably not the greatest setup for someone who should have their own life together at this point. <laughs> so yeah, but from there we get Erica kind of just a lot of music and establishing her teaching her pupils and I think we're just kind of establishing uh, she has this like very cold attitude towards her pupils in a way that's, I think, reflective of what she thinks. A lot of this movie is about control. And I think because her home life is so in shambles, she exerts that control over these young kids that she's teaching. And she's very cold towards them and very matter of fact. Um, she's not the kind of teacher that will praise you. Basically, it seems like ever. It just seems like she tells you when you're wrong. Very strict. Um, matronly, I guess, could be a term you could use. As far as my notes go, I have a note that says recital elevator guy staring. Um, I don't know what that pertains to. I guess... Maybe it's her and her mother going to the recital. I don't know. I don't know what that note is. I don't remember what that scene is, so sorry. But from there, we go to this party slash recital where she's going to play for a group of, I guess, presumably rich people or at least affluent people. Uh, I assume the people that own the place are rich, but Maybe if you're like well connected, you get in. I don't know. It's not like it's explained. I, I think she talks to Clemmer before she even plays, and they have like a conversation about. There's a lot of stuff in here about the sort of the pianist that she admires, or they, they talk about like uh, I think his name's uh, like Schubert or Schumbert or something like that. Um, and it, it's one of those things where it's like. If I 
bothered to do any research, which I should, but I don't. There's a, and I've read like a, I briefly like glossed through an article that was like, yeah, and and in the movie, because this this movie is based on a book, which is something I should, I guess I didn't mention it because I didn't know it was based on a book until after I watched it. But as far as like the musical references, they definitely do matter in the sense of like the choices Hanukkah, Hanukkah he uh, for this film he went a little off book as far as who some of the people that were being referenced and it definitely there's a reason for it and there's a point to it and it's like if I looked into these people's musical pieces and understood what the emotion was behind it there there's all these like layers and depth that I didn't really dig into which is another reason why I'm like yeah, this movie probably is. It's just so well crafted and it's so well thought out. Every aspect of it, it's hard to not just be like, "Yeah, this is great." But at the end of the day, you kind of just have to go on like how a movie made you feel when you watched it, and how much you liked it, and how much you thought about it afterwards. You can't just. I think at a certain point, you you separate yourself from from quote unquote objectivity in terms of like yes, this movie is well-crafted and amazing. And it's objectively everything the director wanted to be even. And at the end of the day, A, I do think that objectivity is nearly impossible, if not fully impossible. And B, I mean, why are you listening to my show if you're not looking for my opinions on the film? Like you just want me to be like, objectively, this movie's a uh, well-crafted work of art. 10 out of 10. Yep, yep, yay. Like, I, I mean, what's the point of even having a conversation at that point? But I do want to be upfront in terms of saying that as far as all these musical references go throughout the film, it's not something I did a bunch of research on. And so they're somewhat lost on me. And maybe they would add flavor and context to the film and maybe I should appreciate them more than I do. But, you know, I, I didn't really look up too much of it. And so as far as like all the, as far as like, I should, I should say this too, as far as like all the music in the film goes, I actually didn't like it very much. Like uh, at this recital, it's a great example. Both like she plays a piece sort of in conjunction with this older man. And then later Clemmer's all like, oh yeah, I guess I'm going to play for you guys. Don't judge me too harshly <laughs> and then he starts playing and and I like the scene because we we spend a lot of time on on Isabel Huppert's I'm going to stop saying that because in case I'm saying it wrong I'm just going to keep calling her Erica for the rest of the movie since I'm calling the other guy Clemmer too I think that's fair uh, <laughs> but there's this look on her face to where she's like you can tell just because she's such a great actor that this guy's like really good and it kind of pisses her off but the music that he's playing i hate i don't hate but i was like this sucks and it's the music and all the piano uh choices in this film and the musical choices in general are very like it's like very uh um how what's the word i'm looking for very uh not brash but um sort of not irritating but just uh Gosh, I don't, I don't even know what word to describe it. It's just, it's, it's almost grating in a way. 
I don't like the music at all. And I definitely think that hurts my enjoyment of the film a little bit because all every time there's just a big piano piece, eh. every time there's like a big piano piece playing, I'm just like, oh, this is so grating, and like I don't like it. And I don't know, like I, I guess I like when it comes to piano stuff, I like more melodic, sort of uh, thoughtful. I, I don't know why I'm thinking of like a, like a meadow, like a nice meadow. You play this like nice piano music over it and you're frolicking. And I mean, that's not the tone of this film. But at the same time, the music didn't do a lot for me. I know I'm doing a lot of, uh, you can tell I'm doing a lot of, oh, I didn't like this. I didn't like this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is one of my defensive episodes to where I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about the things that didn't quite hit me the right way. And then I'm still going to give it a good score at the end. Because it's a good movie. Well, I'm just trying to explain why I don't think it's, I guess, a full-on masterpiece at this point. Um, I don't know. Getting a little sidetracked. Uh, but her acting in this scene is great. She's just like, you can tell she's like annoyed, but also intrigued in a way. There's multiple scenes in this movie that basically hinge on just staying on Isabelle Huppert's face as she just goes through her range of emotions. It's, again, another... Uh, I almost wish I hadn't done Birth as an episode because that would be a slam-dunk recommendation uh, as a companion piece to this film because that movie, there's so many scenes that just rely on Nicole Kidman. I mean, infamously in that movie there's like full on two, three minute take where we're just on her face while uh, like a concert is going on or whatever. And there's a lot of similar stuff in this film. I, I definitely think Nicole Kidman and, and Huppert, God, I hope I'm saying that right. I'm so sorry. Uh, but, you know, I think they're in similar leagues with each other, I would argue. And the directors of their films know they can rely on them to deliver, which is really cool. And I really appreciate that. And I just like watching the emotions that, that Erica's going through in this scene, watching this kind of smart, because the guy's all, he's, he's doing that thing where he's like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I'm definitely not as good as them. And yeah, we'll see. And then he's like, and he's like, he's like nailing it. That false, uh, that sort of false faux, bullshitty lack of confidence or whatever that's just disguising a guy who's very uh, competent in himself, I think. Um, but uh, let's see here. At some point, Erica is uh, tutoring this girl who's sort of like this like... And I think, I think Hanukkah has explained as well that this this girl is sort of the weird reflection of of erica to what she could have become and you see later that that this this girl pupil uh has an overbearing mother as well uh but erica's very mean to her she's she's just like she can't take criticism she cries erica doesn't give a shit i have a note that says mom on phone i think her mother calls her at some point just to you know, further established mom, mommy's always watching mommy's always. And I mean, her mom doesn't, her mom doesn't like have a job or anything. She's clearly like retired. She just sits at home 
watching TV and drinking and just has nothing else to do with her life other than to, you know, stalk her daughter, check up on her all the time, which just adds to the overbearing nature of it. Um, there's a brief scene where Erica is practicing with uh, some other older people. It seems like she's maybe in a band or something, or they're like, I don't know, like maybe they're the teachers and they have their own band. It's never really explained, but I think it's I think it's a really fun little good scene. I think you very quickly understand that all of these people are sort of like failed potential orchestra people who are like, oh, we'll just have our own band and make our own music, or maybe they're practicing to be in the orchestra. But it just it does a lot to just establish like, okay, yeah, there's not not only is Erica kind of sad and didn't really achieve her dreams, but there's all these other people that didn't either. And she's just, but she doesn't seem friend, friendly with any of them either. Like, I don't think there's a single point in this film where it seems like she has a friend really, which is really sad. Um, but from there we get, we sort of really get into it. She visits the sex shop and she's kind of wandering around. And it's obviously a very male dominated clientele, and they're all staring at her like lewdly and she's looking at them. She seems like a little nervous, but also I think maybe slightly intrigued, but she goes into one of the private rooms. And like I said, in the summary, I got into it, but she's watching this porn, I think. And it's very explicit too. Uh, I'm almost a little curious what this movie is rated. I don't really know. I grabbed the criterion from, the library or whatever but i mean she just fully is and i'm sorry for the explicitness of what i'm going to talk about but i it's kind of necessary to talk about the film but she is watching this like porno of this guy that's got like this girl like upside down on like a table or the bed or something he's just like fucking the shit out of her face and she's just kind of watching it and then she reaches into the wastebasket and picks up some of those jizzy tissues and starts like pushing them into her own face and sniffing them. And like, I remember at that point, I, I was kind of like, I wasn't like dozing off, but I was kind of like, I don't know where this is going. Cause this actually happens like surprisingly late in the movie, like maybe 20 something odd minutes into the film. But at this point, I kind of sat up a little bit and was like, okay, okay, now, okay, she's got some stuff going on that I didn't realize. Um, and so from from there, I'm a little more zeroed in on like what her deal is. <laughs> um, but uh, let's see here. Uh, I, I think she's uh, she's getting ready to do this sort of a recital with her uh, female pupil, and like there's this guy who who's like he's gonna sing and she's gonna play the piano, and Clemmer like burst in and. He wants to talk to her and she's like, fuck off. I'm with these people. You need to fuck off. And he's kind of like, oh, but you know, yeah. and she's like, and she's very like stern with him. Just like, no, go away. I don't want to talk to you. I don't have time to talk to you. Um, there's, I'm not going to get too into it, but there's a lot of like, again, along with how weird the music is in this movie, the, the, the piano stuff is very plodding and harsh. And this guy singing the song. Also, I'm just like, is he like good? I can't tell. Like his singing is like, it doesn't do a lot for me. I can't tell if he's like nailing it or if it's like purposely kind of shitty. I, I don't know. It, it kind of, it's kind of lost on me. Um, but from here, 
yeah, we get a big chunk of stuff here to where clearly it's not some, I, I, I referred to her as a tutor earlier, but I think she is fully like a teacher at some sort of music academy. And so they have like tryouts for people to get accepted to the university. And Clemmer, who only seems to be doing all of this just to get close to Erica, um, he's going to try out for the, the academy. And you, you get this really great sequence where he's playing all of his crazy-ass complicated piano songs, which, again, credit to the actor. Apparently, there's a lot of shots of this movie where the actors are playing the piano and they had to learn how to really play the piano and, and they did uh isabel huper again uh, you know i'm not gonna keep saying it uh but she had taken piano when she was younger and she relearned it for this movie and this guy was like spending all day on set and then having to go do like three hours of piano lessons and stuff like credit to the man for sure uh, he's playing these pieces and we get a lot of shots on erica as she's because it keeps transitioning from like song to song and you're watching her let herself be drawn. And it's, it's essentially, it's weirdly a seduction scene that's all played through her reactions to his music. And she's just, she's just nailing it. There's so much going on in her face. There's a want to not be into this, but she's into it and she appreciates it. And at the same time, she's like, ah, I wish I didn't, like she's maybe a little bit jealous too, because uh, he seems like he's almost got. Even though he's like in his thirties, he's got like prodigy level type stuff going on, and it, it's just it's just interesting. She's like just really knocking it out of the park as an actor. It, it's hard to describe. You can't really describe the emotion on someone's face fully through words. But you know, if you watch the film, you certainly, I'm sure, know what I'm talking about. Um, but he, he gets accepted. She tries to push against it, but the rest of the faculty aren't having it. They're all blown away by him. Of course. Um, I think from there we get this crazy ass scene where she's home in her bathroom and she kind of sits on the edge of the tub and pulls out this razor and cuts herself. It's really cool. Uh, it's a really cool piece of filmmaking in terms of it's all this one shot and she cuts herself and bleeds into the tub and then cleans it. And I guess there's a lot of like trickery going on to where there was a guy with like a tube and he fed it in without being seen. Um, it's unclear to me whether she's doing the classic cutter thing. Uh, a lot of, a lot of people that cut, they like to cut themselves on, on their inner thigh. It doesn't seem troublingly it seems like she's maybe going a little closer to center when she's doing this but we don't see so it's hard to tell i don't know what she's doing uh, she's cutting herself i mean for sure but i don't know where and not knowing where is kind of scary um well yeah you know we're getting another like repressed depressed woman trying to feel something type thing and it's really well shot. I, and then her mom calls her for dinner at one point and she's like, Oh shit. And like cleans up after herself, washes all the blood down the tub. It's, it's just like, it's pretty wild. Uh, and from there, I think she goes to this, we get a scene where she's at the sex shop again and she sees one of her male students at the shop and just kind of like stares him down. And, and I thought she was going to act all shy or like ignore him, but she kind of owns it and walks straight up to him 
and and like almost tries to engage him like hey you're looking at this magazine or whatever and the kid gets like nervous and leaves which you, and she like stares after him and you're kind of like okay what was going on with that but then later we get a scene where she's it's his session or whatever and she's teaching him and she's like really harsh on him and and mean and i think again going back to like the themes of control in the film she was seen by one of her students in this almost compromising place. And I think in order to sort of establish dominance back in their relationship, she's just very, very harsh on him uh, in their, uh, their class session. And again, I think it just goes back to her sort of, wanting some control over some aspect of her life. And she's like, fuck this kid. And she's just mean to him. The kid's just, yeah, he's trying his best, but there's not a whole lot he can do about it. Um, and from there, we almost immediately transition. She, she's trying to take like her lunch break. I remember she like pulls out a sandwich or whatever, and she's just staring out the window, trying to eat her fucking sandwich. But here's Clemmer. He's early for his class. He's not going to be taking no for an answer, foreshadowing. Uh, <laughs> but they have their first class together and he's, he's all over her. He's hitting on her. She's doing her best to keep him at arm's length. She's criticizing his playing. There's a lot of talk about the composers or musicians that they admire. He's playing a piece that she doesn't approve of, or she says he's not ready for something like that. It's very like, again, going back to the control stuff, she's kind of keeping him away and sort of uh, not letting him get what he wants. I, I think for her character too, it's like she doesn't really know what she wants either. I, I don't know her history, but I don't know if there's ever been a guy who has pursued her so doggedly to the point where she maybe doesn't even know what to do with this attention. Um, so she, for now, she's just kind of pushing him away, even though he's kind of relentless. At some point, though, she's, like, walking around after the class. She maybe even, like, follows him. I don't remember. I think she's maybe, like, stalking him a little bit at this point back. Because she goes to see him go to, like, hockey practice. It's this really great, like, brief scene where she's watching. And there's these figure skaters out on the ice. And it's really nice and well choreographed. They're doing a little dance or whatever, like a routine all these like brutish hockey players come bursting out on the ice. It's their time to have the ice. They basically bully these figure skaters off the ice, which I think is very, uh, if you're looking at the masculinity and the femininity of, of the, and the metaphors of this film is indicative of the bullying male sort of uh, attempt to take power especially over something like beautiful and feminine. I, I have a whole research paper that I wrote once um, on this concept called overdetermined femininity. And the crux of that research paper was an article on female figure skating, which is, I'm not going to get into it now, but it's just fun to me to see that scene where it's like, when it comes to figure skating, the concept of overdetermined femininity is when a woman sort of overperforms her feminine characteristics to sort of offset masculine characteristics that she's displaying. And they use figure skating because the women in these 
figure skating competitions are doing these incredible athletic things that are just as impressive as their male counterparts, but they're offsetting it often with sort of uh, much more feminine dresses and choices of music and stuff like that. And they're accentuating uh, their womanness. And it's just, it just, I don't know. I, I find that concept very fascinating. I, I used it to uh, analyze the character Jessica from True Blood. <laughs> if you want to know how much of a nerd I was back in college. Uh, I still stand by that paper, though. It's, it's a kind of a fascinating thing to watch. It, it happens a lot in media where you have a powerful woman in a movie or a show, but sometimes she has to do something very... Oh, she has to sexualize herself in this way. Or she has to wear these type of clothes to just be like, well, she may be able to kick your ass, but she's still a woman or whatever. Um, that's I've gotten wildly off track. But what's really telling in the scene is Clemmer is the last guy on the ice, and he kind of has this very brief interaction with the figure skaters to where he's like, you don't get any audio, but he's clearly like apologizing. And I'm like, ah, don't worry about my boys. They're assholes. Sorry about that. And the figure skater girls are like giggling to each other, like, oh, he's kind of like cute or whatever. And Erica sees all of this. And I think we're just adding a layer to, oh, he's like a good guy. And I'm kind of actually attracted to him or whatever. Um, it, it's, it's a very short scene, but I think it's very telling. From there, we get my aforementioned, uh, she's creeping around um, a drive in. We get a long scene where she's like hanging out. I was confused. Maybe this is more of a French thing. She seems like she's in a restaurant, uh, but she walks outside into a drive-in, and maybe it's like a drive-in that's like connected to a restaurant. I don't know uh, what the deal is. <clears throat> but the highlight of the scene is, um, but the highlight of the scene is her creeping up on a car. There's this couple that's fucking, and they're you know they're really going at it, and she's kind of crouching beside the car and starts playing with herself. But then the guy. He cranes his neck around and sees her and chases her. Nothing really happens, but he's like kind of pissed off, uh, which is like, I was kind of curious what the reaction was going to be. I, the way the movie was going, I kind of expected him to look over his shoulder, see her, and be like, yeah, I'm a stud, and like maybe start going even harder. But he just immediately jumps out of the car and he's like pulling his pants up. He's like, what the fuck are you doing, you crazy woman? Uh, and chases her, which was like an interesting reaction. It's intercut with her mom at home just like destroying her fucking closet because she's not picking up the phone. She hasn't come home on time. More overbearing mom stuff. I just have a note that says rehearsal, crab reacting, Erica. I'm not entirely sure what uh, that... At some point, her pupil... It's time for her pupil to do like a rehearsal. It's not even the full recital. It's just a rehearsal. But... She's like super nervous and scared, and Erica's a terrible teacher, doesn't comfort her at all. She's just kind of like, suck it up, bitch. Her words, not mine. I don't think that's actually what she says, but she just tells her to suck it up and get it together. She doesn't really care. She's not being a very good teacher. And there's an interesting juxtaposition to where eventually Clemmer comes out on stage, and he's working with the pupil and kind of sits next to her on the piano bench and comforts her and tries to make her... Uh, feel good about the thing and, and, and get a really important sequence here where Erica is observing this and she, uh, yeah, I'm like forgetting a whole sequence to where Erica's in the crowd, like falling asleep or paying attention. I don't know. I'm forgetting. But what's important is she sees Clemmer 
comfort this girl and her reaction is to go down to the room with all the coats and it's this really interesting long sequence where you see her kind of contemplating what she's about to do she even goes and like sits down on a ledge at one point with her back to the camera and it sits there for a while and you're just left to kind of be like okay she's thinking about something and then she eventually finds a bottle and she crushes it and you're like okay where is this going and she finds a coat and puts all these broken shards of glass in the coat pocket. And even still at that point, it's not entirely certain what's going on. But then it gets revealed. She goes back and watches the recital or whatever. And then later, she's kind of hanging out in the lobby when her pupil, the female pupil, uh, just starts shrieking. She's stuck her hand in her pocket without thinking, and her hand's been completely decimated by this glass that Erica put in there. And she's observing it coldly. I want to say there's even a point where Clemmer looks at her while she's looking. And there's this weird moment where he's like, eh, it's not like explained or anything. It never comes up again, but it's like, I don't know. And a lot's been made of this scene. I believe the actor herself has said that a lot of people read the scene as her being jealous that the girl has talent or that she was with Clemmer. And she says like, yeah, that's maybe part of what was motivating her. But she also, because this girl is a reflection of what she used to be and what she's going to become, even down to the overbearing mother, the actor said the way she kind of played the scene even was she's almost saving this girl from the life that she has by destroying her hands and making her unable to play the piano from then on. She's like, you don't want this life. Like I'm not saying that's even how the book was written or the, how the director intended it. That's just how the actor has explained the scene after the fact. She just feels like there's an interpretation of it to where she's saving this girl from the life that she's living, which again, I think ties back into, I think she realizes that her life is really weird and messed up. Um, there's, there's definitely a self-awareness there, which plays into her need for control as well. Um, but yeah, that, that's a whole thing from there. I believe, I don't know if it's, it might even be immediately. It might even be like the girl's like shrieking and she grabs Clemmer. I can't remember the sequence of events. Again, it's been a bit since I've seen it, but she drags Clemmer into a bathroom cause he's hitting on her again. It might even be born from him realizing that she did this and he's like trying to, get her and take control, but she's not having it. She drags him to a bathroom. There's a long sequence to where she's controlling him, making him pull his pants down, even though anyone had come in at any moment. She's jerking him off. She makes him stand there. And and ultimately, she I believe she just ends up blue-balling him. I, th- I think she maybe sucks him off at one point for a little bit, but I don't think he gets off. She's just teasing him. She's he's trying to press control on her and she just, she's not having it. And she's got enough control of him at this point that she's making him do whatever she wants. And to the point of even not letting him get off. And it's kind of interesting. Cause like in any other movie, it'd be kind of like a, if we were watching a movie about that was like actually about a romance, it'd be kind of an interesting, a very explicit, but interesting tease scene where it's like, you want me so bad, but you can't have me yet type stuff. But that's not, it's very cold and clinical in this movie. And especially the way it all ends up culminating, it just ends up being kind of brutal in the long run. But yeah, that's what happens in that scene. Um, 
she talks to the mother of, of her pupil who basically confirms that the pupil can't play anymore. Clemmer and Erica, they they have another session together. And he clearly is like, you just like had your hand on my dick. We should go further. And she's not having any of it. She gives him, a, she presents him with a letter and she's like, if you want to, if you want to be with me, you, you got to get with my friends. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but she, she gives him this letter and she's like, if you want to, if you want to get with me, you need to read this letter and do what it says. And then maybe we can be together. Cause if you say, cause he, he's already tossing around shit. Like I love you and all that kind of stuff. And he follows her home, and we get this really long sequence where he follows her up the stairs. She's just like, read my letter, read my letter, leave me alone. Um, but he burst into her apartment. The mom's like, who the fuck is this? I should have known there was guests. And they're kind of ignoring her. They go into what seems to be her room, quote unquote. They shove a dresser up against the door, which you know comes in it. It factors in because the mom keeps trying to burst into the room, even though they told her not to, and it pisses her off. She probably cuts up more dresses at this point. Um, but Clemmer and Erica get a long sequence where Erica like shows Clemmer all her bondage gear. It's very uh, almost childlike in a weird way, which is kind of important to her character because she seems to be so sexually inexperienced. I think it really plays like when she pulls this box of like ropes and stuff out. Where it's like, look at my toys or whatever. Isn't it neat? Um, she, she's it, as much as the movie almost presents her in a couple moments is like very. This, her sexuality is very like uh, extreme. She's also weirdly naive, and we get a really long sequence. And again, great acting from from Isabel, where. He he basically reads her letter, and it's all stuff like, you can beat the shit out of me. Even if my mom's here, I kind of want her to be here. I want her to hear it. I want her to, you can tie me up. You need to treat me like shit. And all this like sort of uh, very extreme sadomasochism stuff. And where she's been sort of trying to have control, she's trying in with the letter to give up that control and fully give herself over to someone. And she thinks because this guy has been claiming he loves her and all this other stuff, he's going to be the guy to finally accept her for who she is, or at least who she thinks she is. She thinks she's finally found the guy to satisfy all these fantasies that she's had all this time, but he's very cold to her and kind of laughs to her and calls her disgusting. She's like begging him at one point a lot, a lot of long takes where we're just over the shoulder on him, just watching Isabel react to him reading. Um, nothing ends up happening. He ends up storming out, acting disgusted with her. She's kind of stunned. Um, she thought maybe she could. And, and, th- and this is where the movie starts to really get open for interpretation. Like, you could almost say that Clemmer is giving her what she wants by acting disgusted with her right off the bat. Um, but she's clearly very hurt by it. And again, I think because she's so either inexperienced or naive or even hopeful, she was finally letting herself give up or at least 
believe in this relationship or this man or whatever. And he really disappoints her in this moment. Um, and so she's not really sure what to do. We get a really, uh, really rough scene to where he storms out and she finally is back face to face with the mom. And while they're laying in bed with each other that night, she's saying all this gnarly shit to her mom is saying all this gnarly shit to Erica and Erica finally just like snaps and rolls over and starts like trying to make out with their mom, which is that's like, man, that scene was pretty crazy. And even the actors have said it was like really hard to film that scene. Cause it was so awkward. And also Hanukkah was like not quite getting what he wanted. Cause he, there's like, I was watching some of the criterion like interviews and it was like, finally she started like thrashing like an animal. And he was like, Oh, that's like what I was waiting for. Uh, this sort of like animalistic, I think for the character, it's pretty easy to determine that she's been so wounded and she's got this messed up relationship with her mom and she's just, she snaps and, and she's just like, ah, I don't care. Whether you're the only person that loves me, then fine. That's what it'll be. And it's just, you, you can read a lot into it. It's kind of, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, it's very fucked up, obviously, um, you know, incestuous and sort of, uh, yeah, it, it shot it shot pretty interestingly because it's all like a lot of really long takes in the film. It's, it's not like stitching this together. It's all like the camera's on the mom's side of the bed. And she rolls over and there, she's pu- trying to push her off her, but she's a weak old woman and she, and Erica's just deterring. It's just, it's crazy. Finally, she pushes her off. The mom almost like pretends that it didn't even happen. She just continues to talk about the piano recital because at some point it's established that. Erica is going to be playing the recital in place of her pupil because nobody else can really do it. And the mom's almost treating it like, this is your big chance. You're going to, you're going to wow everybody and break out, which is like super sad. And it's just like, yeah. And, and Erica, she's sobbing and fucked up and just, you know, it's clearly a reaction to just everything that's been happening. The guys seems to have rejected her, her life, the overbearing mom. It's, it's pretty wild. Um, from there, we get a very, I mean, and when you're talking about objectively good filmmaking, we, we get this really cool one-take sequence where Erica shows up at Clemmer's hockey practice, follows him into his locker room, pulls him out, pulls him into the equipment room, starts confessing to him, saying she wants him, she's sorry, she loves him, uh, she goes down on him, and this is all done in one take. They, like, start doing stuff. He throws her down, starts having sex with her. Seems like he's maybe shoving it into her mouth while she's laying down. She throws up. He's like, you must be disgusted with me. No one's ever thrown up with me before. And she's like, she cleans herself. She's like, I'm clean. I swear. I I want this. I I swear. I don't know what that was. I think, I mean, in terms of like a a filmmaking feat, it's, it's super amazing that they did everything that they did in one take, including the, getting naked, throwing up all the camera movements and stuff. It's so crazy. But as far as the scene goes, I think, I really think her vomiting is very indicative of this isn't actually what she wants. She's just trying to convince herself this is what she wants. And by giving up control and throwing herself into this, she's not being true to herself. I I think that's why she vomits, but it's just so it's, it's like kind of, it's really pathetic and sad watching her wash her mouth out and be like, I still want you. I'm clean. And the whole thing ends with her like opening the door and like going skidding out on the ice and like running away just leaves him 
theoretically blue balling them again, which I think factors into sort of the second to last sequence where Clemmer shows up at her house late one night, maybe even drunk. I'm not sure. Um, but he storms in. He's basically like, is this what you want? He like grabs her mom, manhandles her, throws her into a room, locks her, locks her into her room. And, and like, not to get too detailed and too graphic. I mean, it's a very, very long back and forth sequence where he's beating her up and then talking to her. Like you asked for this, you wanted this and she's crying. And she, and, and again, like, I guess the scene is like somewhat open to interpretation where maybe she's playing it up because it's what her fantasy was. But I just think the way that she's acting, it seems like this is what she thought she wanted. But now that he's theoretically, well, it, it's complicated, right? And again, that's why this movie's so hard because it's not even so much that she's quote unquote getting what she asked for. It's like, but she's not getting what she asked for. She wanted a guy to indulge her in these BDSM fantasies. But what she's got is this sort of uh, selfish brat who's just mad that he hasn't been able to fuck her yet. And he's taking what he wants, but it's not, it's not consensual. It's not a give and take. He's not giving her what she wants in return. He's just taking what he wants and he's taking his, all of it, everything he's doing is coming out of anger and not love. And, I do think that it's hard to interpret this sequence any other way other than badly in the sense that I feel like you could really, really make an argument that secretly this is what she wanted, but especially given the way the movie ends, I I don't think so. And I don't like the interpretation that, oh, she asked for this, so she's learning the hard way. Like I don't really buy into that either because you can do sadomasochism in a healthy way. Instead, she decided to give her heart to this guy who really just was looking to accomplish sleeping with her for all intents and purposes. And, you know, and and it's in his attitude. It's in his bravado. It's like, oh, I hit on this woman and she didn't immediately want to fuck me. Okay, I'm going to do everything I can to, to make that happen because I just get everything I want. And I think that's the true tragedy of the film. And I think, and you get this really long, grueling, awful, brutal sequence where locks the mom away. The mom's of course the entire time banging on the door and crying. He's beating the shit out of Erica, really brutal shit. Again, a lot of long takes, which is just brutal. And you know, he rapes her, I guess we should just say it. Uh, at some point, he gets a glass of water, which for some reason is really memorable. Which is really memorable to me. <laughs> I stumbled over that, but I can't remember if it's before or after. But we get a long shot where we're mostly on her face while it's happening, and we're just watching Isabel show us all the emotions of this character as she's this guy is just violating her uh, in a way that is just wrong. And yeah, he basically is like, fuck you. This is what you wanted. I'm leaving. He leaves. She lets her mom out. Oh gosh, you know what? Very weird timing to mention the scene, but I'm forgetting the scene where she comes home and her mom is like, your father died. And she's like, oh. And they both just kind of look at each other like, huh? 
well, he's dead. And it's never mentioned again. It's another scene that I think is kind of important to her character. Like, they clearly didn't have a good relationship. Something bad happened, maybe. I think it, I think it does color her character, though. It just, like, adds this extra layer. But what reminded me of it was uh, because it's like her mom is finally letting... And you're almost expecting them to call the police or something, but they clearly don't because it just cuts to the recital where Eric is going to play with the singer and nothing's been done. I don't know if it's... Again, you could probably read a lot into it in terms of uh, the mom brushing it under the rug, like just move on. Maybe that's part of the mentality that she carries with her and stuff like that. Um, I definitely wouldn't call it like... There's a part of me that almost wants to be like, oh, you just didn't want to deal with that, so you're being lazy. Uh, But again, everything feels so intentional in this film. I think you can read a lot into there not being any sort of police fallout from this ostensible rape that just happened that the mom was basically witness to. If anything, at the very least, the mom was assaulted. Erica's got all sorts of bruises on her face from getting beaten the shit out of by Clemmer. But I guess we're just at the recital. Um, we get a very brief shot of Erica grabbing a knife as she goes to the recital. And we get this really fun, tense sequence where she's just waiting in the shadows, clearly waiting for Clemmer to show up. She finally sees him come in with a group of people, and she's approaching him. And you're like, oh, man, she's going to like stab this guy. And I think, again, it works metaphorically. There's this like random woman that cuts her off to just chit-chat with her. And as, as she's like taking up Erica's attention, Clemmer just kind of waltzes past the two gives her sort of like a little finger nod like hey and just moves on like nothing ever happened and they all are like okay we'll see you inside they all leave and erica's just standing in the middle lobby alone and she lifts up the knife great little segment where she is about to stab herself but she like grimaces right before she stabs herself like it's just oh man the timing's so good she's it's not like she stabs herself and then winces in pain. It's like she knows she's about to stab herself almost in the chest and she grimaces like this is going to hurt so bad and stabs herself. But it's like kind of high and in the shoulder. There's a lot of interpretations, including like the book to where she meant to kill herself but was unsuccessful. And it's like there's so many ways you can take it to where she was unsuccessful. She even failed at killing herself or she maybe didn't really want to kill herself. She just wanted to hurt herself. Again, this movie really wants you to just interpret things the way you want to, which I think is really cool. Um, but it's also hard because it's it's not telling you what to think or what to feel. And it's hard to understand what it's trying to tell you. So I'm like, did she fail at killing herself? Did she just want to hurt herself? I mean, she just walks out of the venue and walks into the night in this wide shot. And that's the end of the movie. And I was like, holy shit, that was the end. Like I knew, I could tell from the way it was, paced and the way it was wrapping up that it was the end but I was just like wow but yeah I don't know it's it's a difficult movie it's like it wants you to I I really respect it for wanting you to sort of put your own ideas on the film in, in terms of like loneliness and sexuality and control and sadomasochism and even parental figures and all sorts of stuff and it's it's not telling you how to feel it's just it's very, uh, the movie's not fully, because of the wonders it is, there's a voyeuristic feel to it, but it's it's very 
much presenting this story to you to observe and take for what you will. It's not trying to tell you how to feel about it or what to think. It just wants you to see the story and, and walk away with your own interpretation, which I, I like a lot, but at the same time, definitely left me a little cold at the beginning. But the more I thought about it and the more I listened to stuff about it, the more I'm like, yeah, this is really cool, though. It's really admirable what they've done. And especially to where it's like fucked up, but not like so fucked up that it's just like fucked up to be fucked up, if that makes sense. I don't know. Like it didn't, it didn't like shock me in a way that I was just like, holy shit, I can't even comprehend what's going on here, which I, which I appreciate. It's not too much, I think. But yeah, I don't know. Like that's the movie. <laughs> um, I guess I should get to the rating. As I always say on the show, I'm harsh on movies a little bit like Erica is on her students in this film because theoretically I'm watching some of the greatest movies of all time. So I, I felt like I couldn't just have a normal rating system for the show. A great example would be, and I said this a million times and I'll keep saying it because it was my benchmark. It's, it's the, it's the goalpost that I established for the show. I gave the Godfather an 8.5 out of 10 on the show in regular life. That's a 10 out of 10 movie. It's great but I want to be harsh on movies just so I can have some sort of range and barometer for stuff. So for this movie, um, gosh, I don't know. I think I gave it like a, I gave it a four out of five stars on Letterboxd. Um, which usually I give stuff like about a star lower, but I, I'm feeling a 7.5 on this. I think that's what I'm going to go with a 7.5. It's a movie that I bet you if I watched again, I, I bet you like five years from now, if I watch it again, I'm like, damn it, this is like a masterpiece. I shouldn't have been so rough on it, but that's where I'm at right now. It's basically a thing that left me a little cold and I think it's got some issues, but it's just so masterfully done that I cannot deny it. And the main performance and arc is so interesting that I just can't, I just can't argue with how well crafted it is. Um, I, I, I'm feeling it's like slightly above a seven, not quite an eight. So that makes it a 7.5, right? <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10 for the piano teacher. Congratulations, question mark. Um, but yeah, that'll bring us to our recommendations. As I already mentioned, I mentioned a more in the episode. And I also mentioned shame. I'm not going to use those as my recommendations, but I would absolutely recommend both those films. I'm going to use this opportunity to recommend a movie called never rarely sometimes always. Um, it's a movie I watched fairly recently. And the reason I'm choosing it is because I think the themes of having control over your life and especially control over your sexuality and, uh, just even the struggle as a woman to make your way in this world, especially when you have overbearing pressures in your life. It's a movie about this 17 year old girl that lives in rural Pennsylvania who finds out that she's pregnant and she makes a big journey to New York to potentially have an abortion because it's maybe the only place that she can have it done because her backward ass Pennsylvania town I'm not trying to get political or anything but like everyone she runs into in her hometown is very like here's a video on why you should have the kid and here's your options which just boil down to adoption and stuff like that and she's 
not having that. So her and her cousin go on this trip to New York to visit a clinic there. And it's just, God damn it, man. I, I really, really like this movie a lot. Ever since I watched it, I just can't stop thinking about it. The only reason I'm even recommending it is because I just want to get it out of the way because it's just going to sit in the back of my mind until I finally suggest it to somebody because it's just it's such a gorgeous movie. It was shot on like 16 millimeter film and it looks like it in the best way. It's so quiet and contemplative and God, I, I don't know what else to say about it. I, I don't even want to spoil anything. It's just gritty street level filmmaking the characters it's just so good i love i love 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 this movie i think it's a movie that i'm gonna come back to every once in a while i just man i I cannot recommend it enough and i don't want to spoil anything else about it i just think it's incredibly well done i'll definitely be checking out the director's other films she's only made a couple other movies so that'll be pretty easy i don't think they'll make their way on the show by any uh stretch but if you keep an eye out on my YouTube channel, spoilers for that, uh, it'll definitely be on my 2020 list. Very, very high up there. Will it be number one? Maybe not, because there's one other movie that I think maybe beats it, but it's going to be fucking high on there. I love that movie. Just please watch it. I would appreciate it. It's a short movie. It's great. Cannot recommend it enough. Um, but yeah, and speaking of my YouTube channel, I'll, I'll plug myself real quick because I forget to do that sometimes. I'm Jake Baker San S A N on Twitter, Jake Ryan Baker on YouTube. If you ever want to connect with me, I don't know who listens to the show. I seem to get like seven or eight listeners per episode. And I don't know who they are. Maybe they're all just friends of mine. Even if your friends of mine say, "Hey, I listen to the show," I don't know who's who's listening to the show. Like, uh, is there is there something you want me to do like to make the show better? I'm I'm definitely open to criticism. I can do bits or games or segments. Uh, I could chop things up. I could do 20-minute episodes where I don't go through beat by beat, but that seems less fun, right? Like You should be, you know, put me on while you're doing the laundry or doing your dishes or doing your stuff. Like Definitely, I'm not expecting people to be fully focused on this stuff. I just want to keep you company while you're living your life, you know? Um, I mean, that's definitely how I view podcast at least um but i appreciate all you who listen please reach out to me i'd I'd really appreciate it um and thanks for listening to my ad that gives me like a cent every time you listen to it you're the best uh but that's going to do it for me here on claire tinted classics i'm losing my voice you guys are the best and i'll catch you all on the flip-flop later goodbye guys